OTAs are officially underway at the VMAC. The Seahawks kicking off their third and final phase of their offseason program on Monday. What went down in their first practice session? I'll be sharing some takeaways on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Happy Monday to all of our listeners. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks officially kicking off their third and final phase of their off-season program on Monday with their first organized team activity. I'll be sharing some takeaways on the offensive and defensive side of the football on a jam-packed episode. This episode is brought your way by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Coach Pete Carroll has always been enamored by speed, so it shouldn't be surprising that the Seahawks decided to add a bit more speed to their receiving core. Shortly before their first OTA practice on Monday, Seattle officially agreed to terms with veteran wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, formerly of the Bills, 49ers, and the Bears last season played for Chicago, put up decent numbers in a reserve role for the Bears was out of the league in 2020. This is an interesting signing for the Seahawks on a number of different fronts. For one thing, this is a player that Pete Carroll has been following for quite some time. He actually had never talked to Marquise Goodwin in person prior to signing him to this contract, but was familiar with him playing with the 49ers, knew him coming out of Texas. And again, Pete Carroll loves speed. He loves athleticism. And Marquise Goodwin is one of the best athletes in the NFL. He was on the 2012 U.S. Olympic team and competed in the long jump at the 2012 Summer Olympics, finished 10th in that event, did make the finals, and unfortunately was not able to replicate his success from the earlier round and finished 10th. But nonetheless, there aren't any other NFL players out there that have been finishing that high in a U.S. Olympic event. And Marquise Goodwin was, was able to do that coming out of Texas. Ran a 4.27 second 40-yard dash at the Combine back in 2013 as well. So this guy doesn't just jump a long way. He is extremely fast. Even at 31 years of age, Pete Carroll said this today, after their OTA, he can still fly. He's considered a plus route runner, has played out of the slot. He also has experience returning kicks, but it's been a few years, 2015 being the last time that he returned kicks for the Buffalo Bills, but he does have some special teams experience. And so this is certainly a player that has a chance to come in and compete for some snaps, but the Seahawks also have a very loaded receiving core. They already have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. D. Eskridge is coming back with pretty solid in their first OTA today. They have Freddie Swain, who had a solid 2021 season. They just invested a pair of seventh-round picks in Derek Young and Bo Melton a month ago. So 
this is a stacked depth chart. That's not even including players like Penny Hart and Cody Thompson that have played significant snaps on Sundays over the past couple of years. So that is going to be an intense battle for maybe five, maybe six at most spots. The Seahawks have held four receivers on the roster a few times. So Goodwin certainly entering a crowded receiving room, but his experience and the fact that this is a player that did put up some pretty good numbers a few years back with the San Francisco 49ers. He's played in Kyle Shanahan's offense, which has some similarities to what Sean McVay runs in the Rams and Shane Waldron's trying to run as the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. From that perspective, it makes a lot of sense for Seattle that they are looking at Goodwin. And again, as I mentioned, the Olympic background is something that certainly Pete Carroll's ears are going to perk up about getting a guy with this type of an athletic background on his roster, even at this stage of his career. He's a guy that caught 56 balls for 962 yards and three scores back in 2017. And I think the other thing that's endearing about this player, the adversity that he has overcome, over the past several seasons, back in 2017, that career year he had with the 49ers, it really is just very difficult to talk about. He and his wife, Morgan, they ended up losing a son to a premature birth just hours before a game, and he played in that game somehow. The next season in 2018, they lost two unborn sons. So again, adversity and tragedy strike this family they were able to finally have a daughter born in February 2020, and that was one of the big reasons why he opted out of the 2020 season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He decided he wanted to spend time with his family. Very understandable when you consider what he and his wife had been through over the past several seasons. So he's had a long road to this point, but he's continued to grind it out. He's still hanging around in the NFL, big-time athlete that provides some route running savvy, can run the football on jet sweeps, back in the day, return some kicks. Maybe the Seahawks re-explore that possibility with Goodwin at this stage of his career. That would be a great way for him to enhance his chances of making this team. Because again, I think when you look at the depth chart with Metcalf, with Tyler Lockett, with D. Eskridge, Freddie Swain, the rookies that are coming in, there's no guarantee that Marquise Goodwin is going to be making this football team. When you're signing this late in the free agency timeline, too, a lot of times veterans that signed that late are not guaranteed to make a 53-man roster. And Goodwin's getting to be a little older player at 31 years of age. But because of his speed, the fact that Sanjay Lal, Seattle's receiver coach, has worked with him in the past, there's that prior relationship the fact that he can bring some mentorship for a lot of younger receivers in this team, there are certainly some things working in his favor. And if he's able to come in and have a really good off-season program here over the next couple of weeks and perform as well in training camp preseason, you see that sizzling speed on the outside. He makes some big plays in the passing game. Seattle might not be able to make a move there. And so it's never a bad thing. It's a good problem to have. When you have a lot of surplus receiving talent, Seattle certainly looks to be in that position with the pieces they've added both in the draft and in free agency. So this will be a great opportunity for Goodwin, who, again, he didn't play in 2020. He's missed some time with injuries, had all of the adversity off the field. It'd be nice to see him go out and have some success. Last year in Chicago with a pretty bad offensive system was able to catch more than 30 passes and did have a touchdown. So he was able to come back and produce a little bit in the Windy City. Now he's going to be seeing if he can become a complimentary piece to go with 
the assets the Seahawks already have on the outside. It's going to be a fun player to watch here over the next couple of weeks before the Seahawks go into their break, about a six-week break before training camp. And I would anticipate that this is going to be a signing that isn't one of those quick hitters where they quickly move on from him because he looked pretty fast on the field today. Pete Carroll even mentioned it. So he's going to have an opportunity to compete in one of the most crowded positional groups on the roster and uh, maybe just maybe push for a spot on the team coming out of training camp and the preseason. Coming up next in the second quarter, a lot to talk about from today's opening organized team activity session at the VMAC. I'm going to start on the offensive side of the football. Sure going to talk some quarterback, maybe a little bit of offensive line and some running backs as well. Some takeaways on the offensive side of the football coming up here in a moment. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, whether it's live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. The Seahawks return to the field, rookies and veterans alike on Monday to kick off the third and final phase of their off-season program, OTAs, or if you like the longhand version, organized team activities. And this is certainly a step up from what the Seahawks and all 32 NFL teams have been able to do up to this point. The first couple of phases, there's really no team drills on the field. You're not going to have offense going up against defense. In OTAs, the NFL opens the door for offense versus defense. Now, the Seahawks do it a little bit differently than some other teams out there because with contact being prohibited, no live contact, you can't really play real football. As Carol was calling it today, you know what? We got to have an imagination because it's fake football. And that's really what this time of year is. Not that there's not value. These are still very important. The mental reps, particularly for the young players, your incoming free agent signings, players like Drew Locke that came over via trade that are trying to learn a new scheme. These practices are very valuable. But there's only so much that you can assess because it's not real football that's going on out there. You're not really going to see the bullets flying until training camp. So keeping that in mind, some takeaways from today's practice. First and foremost, got to talk the quarterback position. And with Russell Wilson now being in Denver, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and Jacob Eason are the three quarterbacks that are on the roster. And there's a lot of fans out there that are hoping for some clarity at this QB position coming out of OTAs and minicamp. I can tell you based on what Pete Carroll said today that that's probably not going to be happening. There's not going to be a starter named coming out of this. There's probably not going to be any more clarity than what we have at this point. It sounds like Geno Smith, Pete Carroll continues to say it, that Geno Smith is in the driver's seat right now because he has familiarity with Shane Waldron's offense and Drew Locke, he's still learning this system. He's only been with the team for a short while, and they've only been doing stuff on the field for a short while. So he's still trying to catch up 
Geno Smith's got that early advantage. We'll see how that fares for him as we get deeper into the offseason and we get into training camp. Drew Locke will have a chance to close that gap and maybe surpass Geno Smith. But right now it looks like Smith, with his background, starting some games in place of an injured Wilson last year, is in the driver's seat. You're just not going to learn much right now about your quarterbacks. Pete Carroll had this to say when asked how the Seahawks are evaluating these QBs without 11-on-11 drills. Well, we do that in controlled periods, you know, before we even come on the field, you know, to, to get still. This, it's really a situational football. This isn't the real thing. This is, But this is – we try to get as close as we can. Uh, using your imagination is a really big tool for us here. And uh, so that's for the players and the coaches. And, and uh, you have to picture, you know, what it is we're asking and what the situation calls for and then, and then you know, adapt and make your decisions and, and show us what you know. And then we know there's a whole nother level coming to camp. And this really what we do now in, in phase three is preparation for camp. And so uh, it's all staged. And so we're making the progress that you can make, and, and uh, but you can't tell till we really start playing. And like I said, you know, when you're not including 11 on 11, you can't have contact with corners and receivers. They're not supposed to be playing the football. You obviously are not going to have contact with your offensive and defensive linemen beyond simply touching each other. They're not going to be doing legitimate blocking. You aren't playing real football. And so you have to take what you see with a grain of salt this time of year. Certainly there's some things that you can assess with Drew Locke versus Geno Smith. You can look at decision-making first and foremost. You can look at the touch on their passes. You can look at the mental aspect. How well are they picking up the scheme? Are they making all the correct calls? So there are certainly things that can be evaluated right now. But in terms of trying to figure out who's going to be the starter in week one, basing everything off of seven on seven or the offense going up against other offensive players with red beanies on, that was a particular drill that they did today during OTAs. Those are not going to be near as valuable, obviously, as when you're going up against Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs and some of those guys in training camp. That's when you're going to have a better chance to be able to assess these quarterbacks and figure out who's going to be your starter. As far as big plays that happened today, Probably the best pass was Drew Locke down the seam to tight end Will Disley. That would be a play that would excite a lot of Seahawks fans because we didn't see that a lot with Russell Wilson as the quarterback. Attacking the seams to tight ends made a really nice touch throw. Geno Smith also threw a bomb down the left sideline to D. Eskridge that he was able to corral, get both feet down and bounce. So those two plays jumped out. There were some miscues in there as well. Smith got intercepted by Cody Barton on a telegraph throw. It was kind of one of those you're like, what is he looking at type ordeals? But those are going to happen, and you're happy to see them happen this time of year rather than training camp or once we get into regular season, if one of those guys starting, you hope that those plays they can learn from and the chance of those happening down the line is far smaller. So certainly there were some highlight plays. There were a few miscues that were in there. But again, it's a really tough time of year to evaluate the quarterback position when you're not playing real football. Next on the observations here, the offensive line, as I mentioned, you know, those guys are playing patty cake up there this time of year. You're looking at the footwork. You're making sure that guys are working on technique-related stuff, but they're not going to be driving defenders off the ball. They're not playing in pads. It's not allowed per league regulations. So trying to evaluate the offensive line, that's even tougher than the quarterback position because they're not even doing what they're going to be doing on Sundays. Nothing that they're doing aside from getting out of their stance, the footwork-related stuff. That's all you can really assess with offensive line right now. But you can see the group taking shape. Now, 
In today's session, there were a few people missing. Gabe Jackson, according to Pete Carroll, he's not going to be there until their mandatory minicamp coming up next month, which that's not completely out of the ordinary. Sometimes veterans that have been in the league for nine, 10 years like Gabe Jackson, they're not going to show up for the start of OTAs. There are other players like Al Woods on defense that were the same way. They'll show up for minicamp, but not going to be there any earlier than that. So without him being in the lineup, Phil Haynes is playing the right guard position. And Jake Curhan got the first team reps today. It's May. It's May 23rd. So nobody should be thinking, oh, Jake Curhan's already got the job, a wasted pick on Abraham Lucas. That is going to be an intense competition, I have a feeling. That's going to be one of the tight ones in training camp along with the quarterback position. That one's very much up in the air 50-50 because Jake Curhan did play really well the last five games last year. He has the NFL experience that Abraham Lucas does not. But Lucas has a much higher ceiling. He's got more athleticism. He was a four-year starter at Washington State. He has been a first-team All-Pac-12 selection a couple of times. So this is a guy that's a good football player. There's a reason Seahawks picked him at number 72 and may have been even thinking about picking him at pick number 41 in the second round. He was that high on their big board. So I think he's going to get every opportunity to win this job. But Jake Curhan looks to be in the driver's seat. As far as the other positions, Charles Cross, I'm just not anticipating that Stone Forsythe is going to get a true chance to compete there. I mean, when the guy's picked number nine overall, the expectation is he's going to start right away. So Cross was the left tackle. You had Damian Lewis back at left guard. And Austin Blythe, they signed in free agency, was at center. So that was the first team line. I don't know if that ends up being the group that we see out there in week one when the Seahawks face the Broncos on Monday night football, but... Wouldn't be surprised if most of those guys are in the starting lineup. They'll obviously have Gabe Jackson back, again, mandatory minicamp. But for now, Phil Haynes, who started a couple games last year and looked pretty solid at the end of the year, he's going to be getting these reps here during the offseason program, their organized team activities. He's going to be getting those opportunities to continue impressing the coaching staff and you know, maybe put himself in a position where he can get some snaps down the line when injuries strike. He gives them pretty good depth in the interior of their offensive line. And last but not least, looking at the offensive group, got some injuries, some notable ones. Rashad Penny did not practice today, dealing with a strained hamstring. And Pete Carroll made it sound like it was a minor ordeal. He was actually doing some stuff in the walkthrough. They're just not going to force the issue. Again, it's May 23rd. There shouldn't really be any worry about him being in an injury situation right now. He is going to be fine. Chris Carson, on the other hand, he's around, according to Pete Carroll, whatever that means. He's going to have an update coming soon on Carson's situation after undergoing neck surgery back in December. It remains to be seen whether he's going to be able to play or not. And DK Metcalf still rehabbing from a foot injury that he had repaired this offseason was not in attendance at today's OTA as well. So three notable skill players that were not there, and honestly, none of them were expected to be there. So no real surprises. Metcalf down the line will be back for minicamp. Who knows what the situation is going to be for Penny or Carson. Carroll made it sound like Rashad Penny, maybe they were going to hold him back for a while. Because, again, there's just no reason to force the issue. You want him healthy when you get to training camp. He knows your system. You know what he can do with what he played like the last six games last year. You don't risk the biscuit here. When we are in late May, you got to wait until we actually see the bullets start flying, and then you can start getting Rashad Penny back on the field. So no injuries that I think are super worrisome there, aside from Carson, obviously. 
his status as far as whether he's going to play again, where he's going to be able to play this year. All of that's up in the air, uh, but nothing's really changed on that front over the last couple months. I'm going to flip the script to the defensive side of the football, maybe talk a little bit of locker room as well, with the Seahawks having a void in the leadership realms. A couple of players that might be willing to step up and ready to go, uh, filling that void heading into the 2022 season. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have prices that are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could possibly ask for, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Continuing our discussion from today's opening OTA practice for the Seahawks, I just broke down some observations on the offensive side of the football. Now going to the defensive side. I want to start off, this is kind of more a locker room in general comment, but the Seahawks, for the first time in a long time, did not have number three and number 54 leading drills, leading activities on the field today. And obviously that's been expected with Russell Wilson being traded to the Broncos and Bobby Wagner being released, eventually signing with the Rams. The Seahawks moved on from the two superstars in early March. So everybody's known for a couple of months that this is going to be happening, but it's still one of those things until you see it on the field, it's really difficult to believe that it's real. You're kind of pinching yourself like, these guys are still on the football team. They're not. And so those are two huge voids, not just in the talent perspective, but from a leadership perspective as well. Seattle's kind of in a 2010 type position when Pete Carroll and John Schneider first arrived and they were looking for some youngsters to rise up as leaders. Cam Chancellor being a notable one that Pete Carroll asked to take that type of a role with the team. And Chancellor at the time kind of was baffled by the idea because he hadn't proven himself. He was not an established veteran, but we saw the type of leader that he became. And Pete Carroll's looking for those type of young players to rise up right now. And if you're looking for a guy right now that looks to be in the driver's seat to maybe play that chancellor role, there are a lot of similarities when you're talking about linebacker Jordan Brooks, who is ready to embrace the role, filling that leadership void at middle linebacker. He's going to be taking over with the green dot in his helmet. He is the defensive play caller. He's going to be barking, barking out those signals in the huddle. And he's going to be the one that everybody's going to be looking towards when they're making adjustments on that side of the football. He seems eager, very willing. When you're talking about Jordan Brooks, the similarities go beyond the fact that they're just good football players. Jordan Brooks is a soft-spoken, reserved guy. You can see in a press conference, not a guy that makes a ton of noise on the football field necessarily. 
He does with his actions, though. He's a physical, aggressive football player, loves the game, and plays a million mile an hour, always going 110%. So that is the kind of player that you really have to be excited about, that he is ready to step in going into year number three. He's only 24 years old, that you've got a ready-made, built replacement to step in for Bobby Wagner, a guy that learned from Bobby Wagner, a leader by example, the last couple of years. So while they've got their question marks of the quarterback position, they're going to continue to have those question marks, at least for now. Who's going to be the one that replaces Russell Wilson from that perspective in the leadership department? Maybe Geno Smith is that guy and he's ready to take on that role. Maybe Drew Locke is going to embrace that. But the Seahawks don't know. The good news is they can take solace in the fact that they've got Jordan Brooks there ready to step in as their new leader of the defense, the new quarterback of the defense, and he seems more than willing to do so. He's already doing that right now in the start of organized team activities. And he's got a pretty intriguing running mate. As I mentioned earlier, Cody Barton getting an interception today, jumping a pass that Geno Smith threw. So that's a pretty darn good start for him. This is a guy that the last couple of years has always stood out on the practice field. Cody Barton's a guy that regularly makes big plays in practice, but the opportunity has not been there for him with Jordan Brooks being drafted, Bobby Wagner still being here, K.J. Wright earlier in his career. I mean, he just has not had an opportunity to play very many snaps on defense. He's developed into a very good special teams player, but this is finally his chance. He's entering the final year of his rookie contract. He's playing for a long-term deal this season. If he goes out and has a really nice first season as starter, the Seahawks will gladly re-sign him. I don't think he would have to necessarily break the bank to do that. He is only 25 years old, though. He's an athletic, smart linebacker, has played multiple spots, so maybe he ends up costing a bit more than I'm anticipating. But, I mean, that's a guy you can have two foundational off-ball linebackers in Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton. So that's an intriguing sidekick and two guys that could really feed off one another. And both of them could be leaders in their own right. A little different personality between those two guys, but that's good. You want to have leaders that have different personalities. And the Seahawks have certainly done that over the years. I mean, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, two totally different guys, but they were impact players for the Legion of Boom. Russell Wilson, obviously a different personality than, say, somebody like Michael Bennett. I mean, there have been so many different types of personalities that have been leaders in their own way for the Seahawks. And so if you have that in the linebacker position, both those guys, maybe they can reach different players because of their personality. That's not a bad thing. So certainly that's good news for the Seahawks. They try to figure out who's going to fill that leadership chasm going into the 2022 season. Continuing defensive observations here, LJ Collier, the former first round pick, I will tell you this right now. This is not an insult saying this. He looked to be significantly bigger today in their OTA, and I really expected to see that because with Seattle going to a 3-4 defense, as Pete Carroll noted today, he's going to be exclusively playing defensive tackle. He's going to be either playing three-tech where he's lined up over the B-gap, or he's going to be in four-tech where he is over the tackle. So, He's going to be playing those two alignments most of the time. He's not going to be sliding further out as a defensive end anymore. He was around 275, 280 pounds last year. They're listing him at 291. I would think that he's close to that range, which is what he needs to be to be able to hold up in the trenches. Because when you're running a 3-4, there's going to be some two-gapping going on. And if he wants to be able to hold up at the point of attack, 
you need that extra muscle, that extra weight. So it looks like he followed the Seahawks' orders there. Definitely significantly better in terms of size. So that's something to keep an eye on. The way things went for LJ Collier last year, obviously he was a healthy scratch for seven games. That's not something you ever want to see from one of your top draft picks, let alone a first-round pick. He just was never able to get back in that rotation. He played some late in the season. They had some injuries if you guys got banged up. So he was able to carve out a role later in the year, but was not able to follow up. It was a pretty solid sophomore season where he started all 16 games. So while he's not going to be doing things that are that different from what he's done in the past in a 3-4 scheme, Pete Carroll and company are hoping they can maybe get some more pass rush from him from the interior, that he can take that leap. And he's kind of in the same situation Rashad Penny was in last year where you're a former first-round pick that hasn't, hasn't lived up, hasn't come close to living up to that draft billing. You're in the final year of your rookie deal. They've turned down your fifth-year option. He's got so much to prove. And this is an opportunity for him to try to maybe play himself back into Seattle's plans. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we we didn't think it was going to happen with Rashad Penny. And look what that uh, what look what transpired with that last year. So maybe LJ Collier will be able to do that in 2022, playing that defensive tackle position where he's going to be able to have success as an interior rusher. Doesn't have the athleticism to win consistently off the edge, but maybe as a three tech four-tech defensive tackle, that athleticism is going to play better in the interior. He's going to be able to get some pressure. If they can get some production from him to go with Puna Ford, Shelby Harris, and Quentin Jefferson, then this could be a pretty formidable defensive line for Clint Hurt. So we'll see what happens on that front. Carroll seems optimistic, but of course he's been optimistic about Collier in the past, and we saw how last season played out. So This is certainly one of those wait and see whether he can turn things around here in his final year under contract. And last but not least, really difficult to evaluate this defense right now with a new scheme for Clint Hurt when you consider the players that weren't on the field today. And none of these are surprises. Jamal Adams is coming off shoulder surgery. Quandre Diggs is coming off of a fractured fibula that he had surgery for. Marquise Blair broke his kneecap last year, and he's still trying to make it back from that injury. Trey Brown, their young corner that played well in five five games last year, three starts, he is still trying to work his way back from a patellar tendon injury. On top of that, Kobe Bryant wasn't there because he's dealing with a family matter. So you couldn't recognize this group with the injuries that they are dealing with, the veterans that were not there Get to see a lot of undrafted rookies, especially at the safety position. Bubba Bolden, as well as Joey Blunt, both those guys coming in trying to impress with the opportunities they have. Ugo Amadi was playing some free safety. They also had Josh Jones, they re signed recently, played in four games late last year. Former second round pick for the Green Bay Packers, and he played well in those four games. He was playing some strong safety for them in practice today. So, They're going to be rotating some bodies. That's certainly going to be going on over the next couple of weeks. And this is a great opportunity for those undrafted guys when you don't have the starters even on the field. And I wouldn't expect that we're going to see Diggs or Adams playing at all until training camp. They will be there for minicamp probably in attendance to support, continue doing their rehab programs. They're not going to be participating in practice out there and getting reps. 
in May and June practices. That's not going to be happening. So that opens the door for some of these young guys to get some invaluable reps, and maybe that will allow them to impress enough in training camp in the preseason where they can maybe fight for one of the last roster spots. Seattle's certainly looking for competition anywhere that they can find it. As far as Trey Brown's situation, Artie Burns was getting some reps on the outside. They had Justin Coleman playing in the slot, Sidney Jones, of course, playing on the other outside spot. So Brown's going to get an opportunity to compete at one of those two spots when he gets back healthy. But Carroll didn't really elaborate where he's at in his rehab, and he's coming off of such a difficult injury. Patellar tendon injuries can take a year to come back from. He suffered that injury in the middle of the season. So who knows where he's at progress-wise. We'll see where we are at when training camp gets here, but he's not going to be on the field over these next couple of weeks as they're wrapping up their offseason program. And that does open up possibilities. Bryant, when he comes back from the family issues he's dealing with, Tariq Woolen, who was a limited participant today, is expected to be full, uh, expected to be full go on Wednesday. He's been dealing with a hamstring injury. So they're going to have Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant back here soon. Those guys will get some reps now with Trey Brown being banked up. They're going to get some of these rookies in and get them some reps before training camp so that they're able to hit the ground running, hopefully, when they report in late July. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out the Locked on NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be dark, but the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked on NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked on NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Locked on NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Tuesday episode, I'll be rejoined by my co-host, Rob Rang. The two of us are going to be breaking down some breakout candidates for the Seahawks on the offensive side of the football. And we're going to begin our position-by-position post-draft review with the running back spot. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.